Good morning, church. You are the church, and God is building it. Good morning, church in Alma, and church in St. John's, and church online. It's a great time of year, isn't it, that the kids are out of school now, and uh, I hope that's great for you. You'll figure out what to do with them. I remember getting out of school. We lived in the south, and so we got out at the end of May because it was just too hot and there was no air conditioning. And I knew I had all of June and all of July and two weeks in August. Why only two? Because for six years, seventh grade, eighth grade, through high school, on the third Monday of August, every single year, we began football. Eight o'clock in the morning, with shorts on, t-shirts on, we worked out from eight to 11. And then from two till five, we put on pads. I thought they were stupid. Shouldn't you reverse it? Shouldn't you be doing the pads when it's cooler? But you lose weight faster and you get in shape faster doing that. And we did that for two weeks, for six years. I mean, really, in the second week, I'm going, why do I need to do this? I know how to play football. You know what I mean? How many things do you have to do? You just hit somebody. You know, that's it. And somebody else takes the ball and you knock them down. I mean, there's really just some basic principles. But by the time I moved a little further along, I realized that refresher was so important that every year I needed to be reminded of the fundamentals because it is upon those fundamentals that you, you build your reality and think, I remember how to do this. Oh, now I can do it better. Well, over the next 12 weeks, we're going to talk about building the church, about how God is going to take you and build your character so that you can be the church that he's called you to be. So I don't want you to miss any of those, if at all possible. I know it's vacation time, it's go to the lake time, but we are online. So there's no reason for you not to be able to see these in the series and grow in your character with them. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to be our teacher from the Word, and we're going to use the teaching of Paul when Paul wrote a letter to the Christians in Ephesus. He had actually spent two years in Ephesus himself, but now he's writing a letter to them, and he's in the city of Rome. He's imprisoned, but it's not the kind of prison we would think of. He was in a home, and he was there under arrest and they sent guards from the Roman group to watch over him, but they had to keep changing those guards on a regular basis because they kept getting saved because of Paul. And he's in this imprisonment for a couple of years. And during that time, he wrote a letter to Philemon. He wrote one to the Galatian church. He wrote to the Philippian church. And he wrote this letter to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a very important city in Rome. It was a, a city on the Mediterranean, and it was one that had great influence in the spread of Christianity, because that's everything that God wanted it to be. Now, Paul, in his writing, is giving us the fundamentals. He's giving us the foundations to remind us. So in Ephesians, which has six chapters, the first three are dealing with God and his possession and creation of us. And the last three are dealing with how we are then to live in the reality of what God has done for us. So that's what you're going to hear over the next 12 weeks. We're starting off in Ephesians chapter 1, and here is what God said. 
in verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now what I hear in looking at those verses is there are two things that you and I do. And there's one thing that God does. Now, we don't do those two alone. It's God moving in us to give us the ability to do them. But the first thing he says is hearing. All right, so we hear the word of truth. Then we believe the word of truth. Then we're sealed into the word of truth. So we do the first two. He does the last one. So let's start off with this first one. It's all about hearing. Remember, foundational. A lot of this information you know, but we're going to apply it. You and I owe a debt to God. It's not a debt that we can pay because it's far too great. Even if I wanted to pay it, I don't have what it takes to pay it. Paul, in his writing to the Christians in Rome, says this in Romans chapter 8, verses 6 to 8. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Now here's the key. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And we're talking about people who are not believers in Jesus Christ cannot please God. Now you can do some moral good, you can do some things that are beneficial to the society, to the community, but you're not pleasing God. It's impossible. That's what the Bible says. We believe the Bible is the word of God and it's truth. So you can't please God if you don't love Jesus. It's fairly simple. You can't submit to him. I thought I could. And many of you have done the same thing. If I go to church... Enough times, he'll see it, and he'll be happy about that because I came to church. Every once in a while, I'll give something, and I know that that'll make him happy too because I know he wants to do that, and, and maybe I'll even volunteer to help. And all of those are good things, but they don't please God apart from Jesus Christ. You cannot earn God's grace. It's not possible. You need his grace and his faith, which are both gifts to you. Paul says that later in this book. Therefore, you were saved by grace through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. What is? The faith and the grace. They both are. So we need this faith and this grace. Why? You know, I've talked to people before, and they said, I'm not a sinner. I haven't done anything wrong. Well, that would really be great if it were true. But sinfulness is not based alone on what you and I do or don't do. It's based on the nature that we are born with. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden, to that very first couple was created by God. They were created with the ability to please God and the desire to please God. They walked with him in the garden. Now, God is a spirit. 
So we can't see him. It's not that they were walking with a being that they could see, but they knew the presence of God. And yet, with the freedom of the will that they had to make choices between good and evil, they chose against God. And that choice has been passed down to you and to me because once God saw that, then they died. Not physically, spiritually. What's spiritual death? Spiritual death outside of a relationship with Christ is total separation from the Father. It's separation from God. It's not being able to be with God. It's that ultimate aloneness. And then ultimately... It's being sent to a place where suffering will take place for eternity. That's what Adam and Eve generated through their decision to disobey God. They saw the fruit, they took of the fruit, and they ate it. Now, this is the key. This is what, if you take anything away from today, this is what I want you to take. The temptation they faced was greater than the character they had developed. Let me turn it around. When you have the character of Christ in you, to the extent that you have that character and all the facets of life, you are capable of withstanding the temptations that come against you because you're going to apply that character that belongs to Christ that's in you, his righteousness. You're going to apply that to whatever is coming against you. You're going to resist it. You're going to rebuke it. You're going to turn and walk away from it. But you don't always do that, do you? I don't either. And there are those times when I find myself, not surprisingly so, making a choice that is against the will of God. So what does that say? That says that my character is not developed enough in that area to overcome that temptation. So our goal through this series is the development of our characters so that we will become more and more like Jesus Christ. Then when the temptations come, we'll be able to deal with them. And you say, well, why Adam and Eve? Listen, I thought at one point I should open an ancestry search service because I could guarantee every one of you right now I can take you back to your relatives easily. I would just say, you're all related to Adam and Eve. Wouldn't you make a lot of money doing that? I mean, it's true. It's absolute truth. Wouldn't be able to trace it beyond there, but that's where we are. We are the ones who have inherited who he is. We are sinners saved by grace. We're all related to Adam and Eve. So you were born, get this carefully now, You were born with the ability and the desire only to sin. You were born apart from God. That's what it means. You were born dead spiritually. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Born of the water and born of the spirit because the spirit comes in and changes that character so that now you can hear the gospel. I remember hearing the gospel What I heard was this amazing one-time payment that Jesus Christ had made. And what I had a hard time understanding, and it, it still 
sinks in slowly to me is when the Bible says he became sin for us. Let's see if we can break that down for a minute. He never sinned. And yet he was tempted in all ways like us. So just think about it. His character was so awesome that he never fell prey to the temptations. That's where we're headed as we become more like him, as we study his word, as we're open to the move of his Holy Spirit. But here he is, and he has become sin. How do you become sin? Sin is not an entity. Sin is not a being. Evil is not a being. Evil is a state in which we live. Well, he reached all the way back to Adam and Eve, and he took their sin and all the sin of everyone up to the point of the cross, and he looked forward to the last person who will ever be born, whoever that is and whenever that is, and he grabbed their sin and all the sins of the future generations, and he brought it together, your sin and mine, and he absorbed that sin into himself. Unthinkable, unimaginable. And yet, that's what he did so that then the Father punished him for that. He who never sinned became sin and was punished for sin. And he went to hell and he came back and he went into the presence of the Father and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, paid the payment so that you and I do not have to pay that payment, and we no longer have to live in the ignorance of sin. We now have, those of us who've come to Jesus, who've said, take over my life, we now have the ability to please God, and we have the desire to please God. And yet we still have this nature in us that from time to time wants to go against God, wants to desire things that are not of God. But remember, as we develop our character, we'll become more and more like Christ, therefore able in a better fashion to resist those temptations and become more like him. When Christ died and rose again, he turned around and made the offer. It was a free offer. And he told his disciples, go, make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? Well, you have to hear the word of God. You have to hear what God is saying. I remember hearing that free offer. And I had to wrestle with it because it didn't make sense. First of all, I had to wrestle with what it was telling me I was. I didn't think I was like that. Well, of course not. You know, I was my own God. I loved that because I could just ask myself what I thought and I always agreed with me. But when I began to realize that, yes, I am doing things and I am saying things and I'm being things that I shouldn't be. I knew in my spirit that it was wrong and that I had to turn away from it. And I accepted that free offer. I accepted the fact that 2,000 years ago, he saved me. He died for me. So I'm not being saved at that moment. I was saved back then. I'm coming into agreement with that salvation when I do this with Jesus. I'm so thankful that he became sin and he paid the price for me so that I didn't have to pay it. 
but I wrestled with it. And one day somebody came to me and they said, have you ever heard of Blaise Pascal? And I did remember lightly that he was a French philosopher and mathematician, but he had something that was called Pascal's Wager. Now listen to this. It's an argument of logic. Listen, he said, if God exists and I believe in God, I go to heaven, which is a good thing. If God exists and I don't believe in God, then I may go to hell, which is infinitely bad. But if God doesn't exist, then whether I believe in him or not doesn't matter. Therefore, the benefits of belief make betting on God a rational choice. You follow that at all? But yeah, what he's saying is, if God is there, and he really is there, and I believe, I'm set. If he's there, and I don't believe, I'm not set at all. I'm in trouble. And if he's not there, what does it matter? So what do I lose by accepting the fact that he's there? Now, that's not faith. That's logic. Okay? But faith agrees that there is a God, and that we know who he is, and he's offered himself to us. The question is, there is an action required after you hear. I'm sure that I heard many times. I remember a friend of mine saying that he had preached in the church for years, and there was a young boy that grew up. And he grew up, and he went to college. And after college, he went into business, and he came back one day to the church. And during that service, he accepted Christ, and he came up to my friend, the pastor, who had been preaching the gospel for 30 years. And he said, for the first time I heard the gospel, my pastor said, oh no, you've heard it for 30 years. It's always been proclaimed. It's been proclaimed here since its beginning in the 1980s. This church has always proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everybody who has come has heard it. The question is, have you believed it? So he said, you have heard, you were included in him when you heard the word of God and when you believe, not if, when you believe. So the second thought we have today then is believing. What is it to believe in God? Well, maybe you came to believe in Jesus Christ at one of the worship services. Or maybe you went on a summer retreat where lots of kids come to Christ. Or you came to vacation Bible school because the gospel is going to be presented day after day in class after class and on the platform up here. It's constantly being proclaimed so that people will know and these kids will come to know Christ. Or maybe it was during some illness you had and you had a change of heart, a change of mind because God challenged you with that doesn't really matter how this happened, but when it happened and you acknowledged what you had heard as being truth and you responded to that truth, then it is the most significant moment in your entire life. When I give my testimony, people say, oh, what a wonderful testimony. And I say, it's a testimony of God's grace and mercy, but a wonderful testimony is these little children who will grow up and say, I never knew a time that I didn't know Jesus. It may not be a flash of a moment. 
and they recommit themselves in life. And as I think of my three daughters today on Father's Day, I think how excited I am that all three of them love Jesus Christ, and they have since they were little children. That's what it means to believe. When I heard that word of truth at that church that night, I went home, and I believed that it was true. Now, what does that mean, I believe? Did I hope it was true? No, I believed it was true. It was a step of faith. So what is faith? The writer of Hebrews says this. In the very first verse of chapter 11, the the hero chapter of Hebrews, he says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Let me say it this way. Faith, I am confident that what the Bible tells me is true, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, and therefore I bank my entire existence on these truths. I believe by faith, and I'm assured of it for a variety of reasons. Even though I can't see him, I know him, and I know who he is and what he's doing. Faith The writer says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So I want to help you with a a statement of faith. If people ask me, what do you believe? If they ask you that, how are you going to respond? What are you going to say to people when they say, what do you believe? Well, here's a real good educational tool for you. It comes out of the fourth century, believe it or not. Many of you have heard it before. Its title is misleading. The title is the Apostles' Creed, but it wasn't anything the apostles wrote. It is what the apostles believed, and the people who were leading the church at that period of history decided they should bring together all the beliefs so that it would be an easy thing to say. So when you say, are you a Christian? This is what it should mean. I had a friend, and he and I were walking one day, and he said, everybody in my culture believes they are believers. I grew up in the South, where if you were born in the South, you're a believer. I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, you're born in the Bible Belt, so everybody's a believer. But if you were to present to them this truth and say, do you believe all of that? I don't know if I do or not. Well, then you're not a believer. Listen to this, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. The first time I heard that part, I was hearing it in the old King James. It is, he will come to judge the quick and the dead. So I started doing more running. (laughs) The last part, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church, not the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic here means universal. 
So the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Now, if you believe that, then you have taken what you have heard and you are believing it. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are committed. But these are the essentials of the Christian faith. You can't negotiate these. This is what we preach. This is what we teach at this church. Do you believe it? Now, what's keeping you from believing? You know, it, there's an urgency to believe. No one knows the hour. We don't know how much of the rest of this day each of us has. We don't know if we have tomorrow or the next day. What we do know is we have right now, and right now is what counts. And we need to deal with what we've heard. We need to believe it. Billy Graham was speaking once, and he went over and over and said, you must believe, you must believe. And a man came up to him afterwards and said, why do you keep saying that? He said, because you must believe. It is a necessity. Because when you believe, then you begin the development of that character. And here's what happens. You've done the first two things. You have heard the word of truth. Now you're believing that word of truth. Now here's what God's going to do for you. He's going to seal you into that truth. It's called, in old language, an earnest. You've heard of a down payment? They used to call that an earnest. Give me an earnest. Not the person, but give me an earnest, a down payment. An earnest is a fraction of an inheritance, the guarantee and pledge that the whole shall one day be handed over to the one who has received the foretaste of it in earnest. God has given us his Holy Spirit. Here's the best analogy I can come up with. When our kids were young, and Linda and I were on a, a new pastor's budget, which was very low, as with many of you in other walks of life, when you're young and you've got young kids, you're trying to make it. So she is such a great shopper. We would go to different places of shopping. I don't want to point any of them out, but they had this program where you could actually pick something up, give it to them, and give them a down payment, and they would hold that for you. Now, that's brilliant business because if you don't come back, they keep the money and put the thing back in stock. I mean, that's, that's really wise. But if you do come back, you're allowed to pay along the way, and it was called layaway. Well, God has every Christian in layaway. Okay? He's already paid the price. He's not paying it in installments. It's all paid. We're laid away. We're sealed in him with a promise. And the promise is that that day is coming when he will take us to be with him. So, the conclusion is this. When you and I have heard the word of truth and we've acted on that by believing in him, the spirit of God comes in and he seals us into a relationship where we are now able to grow so that we can increase our ability and desire to do things that are pleasing to God. John Piper, famous pastor and writer, said to his congregation once, if you die tonight a believer, do you know whether you'd wake up in the morning as one? Now that's a good question, isn't it? I know for certain that if I died right now, I'd wake up in heaven 
And you should know that too. There's a guarantee from God. And when God puts a seal on something, no man can break it. Did you ever hear the story of, of Noah? God shut him in. He, God shut the door on the ark. And how did he get out? He didn't get out through the door because when God seals something in, you can't get out. He got out through the roof. Now, we can't get out of the salvation that's been purchased for us. And I'm so thankful for that because my tendencies are to fight against that which is best for me. That's my sinful nature. But I have been sealed into him. God is sealing us against that day. Our inheritance is beyond our understanding. Now, you've heard people before talking about visions of heaven they've had. I've heard some great stories about it, and I believe them. And I believe that Paul was taken in his spirit into the presence of God. I believe that John on the Isle of Patmos received this vision of revelation. So I know it can happen at God's will, but we can't really imagine what it's going to be like. Well, let me tell you this. Heaven's not our ultimate destination. We've been sealed not to go to heaven and be there forever. Heaven is a place where we're in a spiritual body. What I'm looking forward to is the new earth, the new Jerusalem. If you read Revelation 21, you get a little bit of a glimpse of what that's going to look like. Linda and I happened to be looking at that chapter yesterday, and she had said, I want to use in this letter I'm writing about the streets of gold, and I looked it up. It never says streets of gold. It says street singular, the street of gold. I'm thinking, wow, like a boulevard, like bigger than that. Like it's just solid gold. And the gates that get in there are made of pearl. Wow. I mean, my imagination can't go where I'd love for it to go. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to be there. But for me, to appreciate that means I need to live now the way he wants me to live. I need to build his church. And I need to do that by my character being developed to a point where I can resist the temptations and please my God. Because when I get there, I'm going into what I call the Christian no man land. You know, no man's land used to be in a battle, that section of land that neither would cross and they would honor that. But I say, no man's land on the new earth is this. No more sin. Uh, no more tears. No more pain. No more disappointment. No more lies. No more darkness. I mean, it's a constant no for the things that come against us on a daily basis. Now, can you imagine that? You know, that is amazing. And it's already filled with those whom you and I love and miss who have accepted Christ ahead of us. We're going to join them someday. And God will be our light. And I believe it. And I heard it. And I understand its urgency. There was a guy by the name of Bill we started kindergarten together. We played football together. He was a guard. I was a center. He was right next to me for six years. And we had dreams together. And we were in each other's weddings. And we had just wonderful thoughts of what we were going to do. Neither one of us were believers. And then life went on. And God got a hold of me. 
And I remember his rule when I'd go back and meet with Bill. He'd say, no politics, no religion. About 11 years ago, I did Bill's funeral. But before that, I stood beside his bed, and he was in a coma. And I held his hand, and I said, I know you've heard the word of truth. I hope you have believed it. But even now, if you haven't believed it, would you accept Jesus as your Savior? Speaking spirit to spirit. I got no response, which doesn't mean anything. But my prayer is that he heard it, that he believed it, and that I will see him in that day. So here's my question to you. Have you heard it? And do you believe it? If you believe it, maybe this is the first time you've ever wanted to respond to having heard it, then I'm going to pray with you. And after the prayer, when we dismiss, if you've heard it and believed for the first time, I want you to go out to the Connect Center and get a first-time little packet that we have for you because you'll love it. It's a, a new believer kit. And it will help guide you and tell you what your next steps are. But for the rest of us, stick with us throughout all of these days to come. For over the next 12 weeks, we're going to become more and more like Christ so that we can build his church. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we, we thank you that you were willing to communicate the gospel to us. We thank you, Lord, that you moved in our hearts to be able to respond to the gospel. And this morning, I pray, Father, if there are any in this room who have never accepted you before, that this will be the day that they say, yes, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. I ask you to take over my life and help me become what you want me to be. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And Lord, the rest of us are praising you for them. And praising you for your grace and your mercy because you have saved us. And so we give you this day. You are our Father. Happy Father's Day, Father, as we bring to you all that we are. And thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go out and ladies and everybody else, take these men out and get them something good to eat. That's what life is all about.